0: This is chapter 40 of Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Personal Recollections of Joan of Arc by Mark Twain Volume 2, Book 2, Chapter 40, Treachery Conquers Joan Courier after courier was dispatched to the king, and he promised to come, but didn't. The Duc d'Alencon went to him and got his promise again, which he broke again. Nine days were lost thus. Then he came, arriving at Saint-Denis, September seventh. Meantime the enemy had begun to take heart. The spiritless conduct of the king could have no other result. Preparations had now been made to defend the city. Joan's chances had been diminished, but she and her generals considered them plenty good enough yet. Joan ordered the attack for eight o'clock next morning, and at that hour it began— Joan placed her artillery and began to pound a strong work which protected the gate Saint-Honoré. When it was sufficiently crippled the assault was sounded at noon, and it was carried by storm. Then we moved forward to storm the gate itself, and hurled ourselves against it again and again, Joan in the lead with her standard at her side, the smoke enveloping us in choking clouds, and the missiles flying over us and through us as thick as hail. In the midst of our last assault, which would have carried the gate sure, and given us Paris and, in effect, France, Joan was struck down by a crossbow bolt, and our men fell back instantly and almost in a panic, for what were they without her? She was the army herself. Although disabled, she refused to retire, and begged that a new assault be made, saying it must win, and adding, with the battle-light rising in her eyes, I will take Paris now, or die, she had to be carried away by force, and this was done by Gaucourt and the Duc d'Alenon. But her spirits were at the very top notch now. She was brimming with enthusiasm. She said she would be carried before the gate in the morning, and in half an hour Paris would be ours without any question. She could have kept her word. About this there was no doubt. But she forgot one factor—the king, shadow of that substance named Tremouille. The king forbade the attempt you see a new embassy had just come from the duke of burgundy and another sham private trade of some sort was on foot you would know without my telling you that joan's heart was nearly broken because of the pain of her wound and the pain at her heart she slept little that night several times the watchers heard muffled sobs from the dark room where she lay at st denis and many times the grieving words it could have been taken it could have been taken which were the only ones she said She dragged herself out of bed a day later with a new hope. D'Alencon had thrown a bridge across the Seine near Saint-Denis. Might she not cross by that and assault Paris at another point? But the king got wind of it and broke the bridge down, and more he declared the campaign ended, and more still he had made a new truce and a long one, in which he had agreed to leave Paris unthreatened and unmolested and go back to the Loire whence he had come." Joan of Arc, who had never been defeated by the enemy, was defeated by her own king. She had said once that all she feared for her cause was treachery. It had struck its first blow now. She hung up her white armor in the royal basilica of Saint-Denis, and went and asked the king to relieve her of her functions and let her go home. As usual, she was wise. Grand combinations, far-reaching great military moves were at an end now. For the future, when the truce should end, the war would be merely a war of random and idle skirmishes, apparently. Work suitable for subalterns, and not requiring the supervision of a sublime military genius. But the king would not let her go. The truce did not embrace all France. There were French strongholds to be watched and preserved. He would need her. Really, you see, Tremouille wanted to keep her where he could balk and hinder her now came her voices again they said remain at saint denis there was no explanation they did not say why that was the voice of god it took precedence of the command of the king joan resolved to stay but that filled le tromouille with dread she was too tremendous a force to be left to herself she would surely defeat all his plans he beguiled the king to use compulsion joan had to submit because she was wounded and helpless in the great trial she said she was carried away against her will and that if she had not been wounded it could not have been accomplished ah she had a spirit that slender girl a spirit to brave all earthly powers and defy them we shall never know why the voices ordered her to stay we only know this that if she could have obeyed the history of france would not be as it now stands written in the books Yes well, we know that. On the thirteenth of September the army, sad and spiritless, turned its face toward the Loire and marched, without music. Yes, one noted that detail. It was a funeral march. That is what it was. A long, dreary funeral march, with never a shout or a cheer, friends looking on in tears all the way, enemies laughing." We reached Gien at last, that place whence we had set out on our splendid march towards Rheims less than three months before, with flags flying, bands playing, the victory flush of Pate glowing in our faces, and the massed multitude shouting and praising and giving us Godspeed. There was a dull rain falling now, the day was dark, the heavens mourned. The spectators were few. We had no welcome but the welcome of silence and pity and tears. Then the king disbanded that noble army of heroes. It furled its flags. It stored its arms. The disgrace of France was complete. La Tremouille wore the victor's crown. Joan of Arc, the unconquerable, was conquered. End of Chapter Forty.